thanks again, everybody, for coming. As I had said, I think we said it in the uh, the invitation. We're starting something um, just a little different, and, and I and I, I credit Maureen Sislow from the Philadelphia Children's Scholarship Fund for for this idea. Um, we're going to call kind of a spotlight on nonprofits. So if anybody else knows of Philadelphia area nonprofits that would like a couple minutes that are kind of relevant to Philadelphia, you know, it can't all just be about business and, and, and networking. So we want to uh, do that. We posted it on the website. So on that, um, I want to introduce uh, Maureen Sislow from the Philadelphia Children's Scholarship Fund. So she'll spend a few minutes here discussing uh, what they do. And she's got some information in the back. So go ahead, Thank you. Maureen. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, everyone. Um, we are a 15-year-old uh, um, nonprofit here in Philadelphia, and uh, our executive director, Ina Littman, is with us today. Ina, if you could say a hello. She's been uh, the executive director since the beginning, so we're lucky to have her here with us as well. As Tom mentioned, there's information on the, uh, on the back bar, and I'm just going to give a brief overview of what our program is all about. So. Um, Every year, we receive about 10,000 applications from families who are in great need for looking for better opportunities for their kids for education. The public schools in the city, as you know, can be overcrowded. They can be on a failing list, uh, not enough textbooks for kids. We receive applications from 10,000 families every year who want to try to send their child to private school. And it could be any kind of private school, Jewish, Islamic, uh, a Montessori, non-denominational, Catholic. And they, they, can't, they can't afford the tuition price point. So we're, we're there to help them with that. We issue, uh, in this school year, this current school year, we issue 5,400 scholarships to kids in grades K through 8. It's a four-year scholarship. and um, the, our, it's a four-year scholarship, and um, we will allow up to three children in a family to receive that, that scholarship. Um, we have a lottery day every single March. Our next one is coming up March the 10th. And um, we have to have a lottery day because we received 10,000 applications and can only help 5,400 right now. So people have to submit all their financials to us. They have to show us that they have certain uh, financial need and they have to be living in the city and then we put them in the lottery and hopefully they win. We'll be issuing 2,000 more uh, scholarships on March 10th so that's a very exciting day and there's information about that in the back. So how can you help your business owners? What can you do? There is a unique program through the state of Pennsylvania that's a tax credit. It's called EITC and OSTC. And I have information in a brochure on it, uh, on the table there. And the way it works is you can actually redirect up to 90% of what you would pay in Pennsylvania state tax to our organization. You get a tax credit. You can then uh, take in that tax credit, put it on your federal income tax return. That gets treated as a charitable uh, contribution, helps you out with a federal uh, deduction. So um, it's a very unique program. It's a very easy way to be uh, charitable. And um, you can have a huge impact on uh, giving, helping give a lot of scholarships to, to children in the city. So if you want more information about it, I urge you to pick up a brochure. Typically, it's a CPA or a controller or CFO at your companies that I need to speak to. 
and uh, we are happy to help walk you through the application process. It's very simple. It's done online. It's through a department um, in the state called the DCED, and it takes about 10 minutes to complete the application. So thank you for your time. We always try to keep this as interactive as possible, so, uh, so we'll do it as, you know, war stories and questions I think are always the, the best format. So I'll introduce everybody, do a couple questions, and then, you know, let's make this, um, let's make this live. So next to me is, uh, is Katie Walsh, a, uh, a friend and a client. She's a multi-unit owner of three Rita stores in South Jersey. She was the manager of those stores, and we were all just talking about that uh, at lunch as well. And then she bought them out from the, from the former owner about two years ago. And um, so talk about coming up through the ranks and really understanding operations. She ran the stores that, that she now owns. And she also does some consulting for other owners to really talk about how she's done success and, and to really help uh, drive their profitability. Um, next to Katie is Jason Parker, co-founder co and president of Canine Resorts, a luxury pet daycare franchise system. Um, he co-founded the brand. Um, 11 years ago, launching it as a franchise over the past few years. Uh, they've consistently won customer awards, you know, typically rated number one in their category. I was just asking him when he was going to come so that I can take my dog Luca there when, uh, once they get near my house. And um, so, you know, always focusing on the customer experience. He's built a great operational culture, and, and we're happy to have him here to, uh, to talk about that. And, and Brian Klein, CEO and founder of the Max Challenge. Uh, the business typically operates out of around a 2,500 to, to 3,000 square foot retail location, focused on structured classes, um, really built around a 10-week intense fitness challenge that is really the cornerstone of the program and the brand. Uh, they began franchising in January of 2013, so just three years ago, and they've grown to over 60 locations already in five states. So it's a really a great story of, of health, wellness, and, and business success. Brian went from being a health and wellness mentor to a, uh, to a business mentor to his franchisees, I guess, uh, with tremendous success. So Brian, thanks for spending time with us also today. Um, so uh, we're talking today about our topic is controlling cost, profitability. It's always a pretty well-received uh, topic. and. Um, you know, I guess I'll just kind of, we, we, we had sort of an intro call. Um, I'll start off maybe, I don't know if anybody wants to kind of start off with War Stories. Katie, you want to start here? We were talking about, um, you know, small business owners and the budgeting process and understanding the numbers. So. Um, sure. I think it's important if you're just entering a franchise system or to really do your due diligence beforehand, uh, find out what the average numbers are for the system um, so you're not coming in too optimistic and shorting yourself in terms of capital from the beginning. That's a, a big mistake um, that's common with new franchisees. I agree. Jason, on that, how do you balance that? People coming in, I'm going to blow out these numbers and, and do that. and. Um how do you kind of measure that against the, the expectations? Sure, so you want them to be realistic. So you want the franchisees to have a good understanding and it's gonna depend if you have a, a good item 19 and you show what your franchisees have done historically um, to help them plan. So in our item 19, we show uh, the average gross sales for a franchise system um, and we show some um, profit and loss as, as well. So, and you really want to be realistic. And I think it's the franchisor's responsibility to sit down and coach them. And, and when they're presenting and planning their, uh, their, their loan package to the, uh, to the bank, I think it's the franchisor should be involved in that process, looking over the documents and really taking them down to reality. And if, if they're showing that they're going to gross a certain level of, of income, 
uh, and have a certain profit at the end of their first year, and you know that you know, your, your other units are not doing quite that, then you have to bring them back to reality, set the expectations I think are important, and uh, fund them with the proper working, uh, cap working capital uh, to get them through their ramp-up period. Brian, you're shaking your head. I guess the expectations are a big thing in, uh, for you guys? Definitely, for sure, 100%. I think anybody getting in business um, really needs to know why. You know, what, it, what is it that you want to get out of it financially? Because otherwise, you end up with a business that drives you rather than you driving the business. So to me and to my franchisees, the only purpose of that business, not to sound selfish, but it's to satisfy their lives. And if it ends up being the other way around, there's going to be a mismatch in expectations. So the biggest, the biggest um, obstacle to overcome, I think, is ourselves and knowing exactly why we're getting into this business from the start so that we could create something that serves our lives financially. And do you find that setting those proper expectations from an operations standpoint to training franchisees, if they come in with that mindset, they're in a better position to listen? I think so. A lot of times we ask somebody their goals and they don't know them or they say, you know, if I only made X amount, it's either on one end or the other. Like if someone doesn't know their goals, there's going to be a mismatch in expectations once they start to recognize what their true goals are as they start to go through the process of becoming a real business owner. Right. Right. Then you start to realize, wow, like my, my goals really aren't being met. And they start to become clear and there's a mismatch in expectations and that creates a bad situation. And the opposite is when someone comes in and says, hey, I want to make $500,000 a year and the concept that they're getting into might not support that type of situation. So it's about being realistic. Katie, you're shaking your head. Do you feel that maybe, especially people who've never owned a business or never owned a franchise, how do you kind of coach them to be realistic? Definitely just going over um, kind of oh, the franchise or franchisee if they provide some key performance indicators or just the average, say, for your food costs, your main controllable expenses and revenue. So you have a good idea of what your bottom line is going to be. Um, so that you are coming in with the right expectations and not thinking you're going to be bringing in so much more than you are actually capable of. And, to, and I think my advice would be to talk to the franchisees. Talk to the franchisees that opened within the last 12 or 18 months and hear it from them, what they've experienced. I mean, we try to set up a culture in our organization where we're one big family and they, our franchisees don't look at it, even if they're in bordering territories, that they're competing with each other. There's plenty to go around and we feel that we've set up the territory uh, sufficiently so that they're not competing with each other. They're, they have their own group of people that they're going to target and they're going to go after, uh, meaning the consumer. So I think that to have the new franchisee or potential franchisee talk to the franchisees in the system um, and, and ask them about you know, what they experienced their first 12 or 18 months is good to be able to set the expectation. What do you think is one of the most chronic mistakes that <coughs> franchisees make in the operation of the business in the sort of the day-to-day? I mean, not following any part of the system, I think, is, is a big mistake. Um, I know that we had a franchisee that didn't fully meet their grand opening advertising requirement, uh, their minimum spend for what they have to do before they opened in the first three months of opening. And we saw it at the franchisor level that that store opened significantly with lower revenue than some of the other franchise locations in similar markets and similar square footages. So I think that's a key indicator that if the franchisor is going to set a minimum spend for grand opening, 
there's a reason why that minimum spend is there, and this is the perfect example of someone who didn't follow it, and their revenue took a, a slower uh, a, a turn for the worse, and you know it, it took longer to ramp up. And let me guess, every new franchisee hears that story. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> and that's that's part of franchising. Good. Anybody else with chronic mistakes that you see? or big mistakes that franchisees have made that maybe some of the franchisor operations people or new franchisees could use? Well, I think along the lines with not spending the marketing spend, I've seen that uh, for sure. Um, sometimes people feel like they have a better marketing idea, right? But if you're part of a great franchise concept that really knows who the target customer is, and has worked really hard at developing messaging and um, that appeals to that target market, you don't want to test it. You don't want to go outside of those parameters because you, you're just not going to get the results that you're looking for. So, you know, messing with the marketing is certainly something that I've seen a lot of. And then I would just add, um, I've seen franchisees who get bogged down by the day-to-day -day operations of the business, um, whether it's being in your store actually, whereas it would be more beneficial to spend the money on the labor so that you're actually taking a step back and really concentrating on the bigger picture of the finances, of the marketing, um, making sure that your number's in line rather than just concentrating on the day-to-day -day operation and getting bogged down by that. I would agree with that. I think franchisees, especially in the beginning, and if they're not hitting the numbers that they think or they thought they were going to hit, that they try to do everything themselves to cut the payroll costs down. And in the short run, I'm sure they're benefiting from it, but in the long run, I think that's a huge mistake. Because the, the business is running them, to, to what Brian was saying before, yeah. then, as opposed to them running the business. Yeah, please. How do you do that in a cash business? It's a great question. The question was, how do you do that in a cash business with the controls? There's cash businesses. <laughs> Rita's? In terms of spending money on the labor? Or, or in terms of controlling, uh, controlling theft? Is that oh, the fear? Um, so I definitely have a, a very good camera system at each of my stores, and my staff know that either myself or uh, their manager is monitoring that regularly. And then also um, just looking at your numbers. So in Rita's, at the food cash business, you can see if your food costs are elevating but your sales aren't, that there's definitely some internal theft there. So really, once you identify that, it's just going in um, by shift by shift, day by day basis to pinpoint where it's coming from so you can identify that team member. Um, I have a dish, like a manager that oversees all three of my stores, so they're there every day, and I'm there a couple times a week. From the franchise or perspective, what's a good way to prevent theft from your franchisees, kind of keeping it in front of the table? So I think it depends what business. I think that Katie spoke to a good way to do it in the food business. With, with our business, we're about 95% credit cards. Um, so, you know, we don't have the cash issue, however, we know what a store should be doing in revenue, right? So if we know that in the first 12 months the store should be in a certain range and then we have a store that is falling way below that, then something has to be done. We have to go down there and see are they not doing the amount of volume or are they not reporting the amount of volume? So we can send someone down there and figure out for us, we're luxury dog hotels, how many dogs are inside the facility? And if there's 50 dogs in there and there's only 25 in the point of sale system, that's a huge issue. And then, 
Thank God, not yet. But uh, I, I'm hoping that we don't have that issue. Um, and again, because of the fact that we deal a lot with credit cards we, and we can track the revenue, it's very difficult to do. And we also have in our franchise disclosure document, um, it's a big, big default issue if we go in there and not every dog is accounted for. It's not only from a revenue standpoint, but it's from a safety standpoint because if God forbid there's an emergency and if you have to evacuate that facility and your inventory on your point of sales is showing 25 dogs in the facility and you have 30, five dogs may not get evacuated in, in that emergency. So I think that that's the way we control it. Well, your business. Our business is a recurring right. membership business. So there's, you know, after the initial, from the first transaction, there's um, not too much, there's no cash that's passed over the counter. But, you know, someone who's paying in advance for a year of a health club membership, could pay in cash and someone could take it. So just basic business controls, like having you know, a standard form for enrolling a member in our case, then they're numbered, right? So if uh, the numbers don't match up, if one is missing, it has to be accounted for and signed that it, you know, that it we was were, uh, destroyed. We had done this panel and that question came up and similar to what you were saying too, Katie, and knowing your numbers is that there was a franchisor who was telling the franchise, who was thinking that the franchisee was cheating because they really knew what their percentage of the food cost and their revenue should be. And it turned out that the franchisee wasn't cheating, the franchisee was getting stolen from. So I think that's really the theme is to, to drive operations, you have to know your numbers. And you have to set up those systems and procedures on a franchisor level. I mean, it's the, it's the franchisor's responsibility to be on top of that and to kind of figure out how can a franchisee possibly cheat the system and then develop a system to make sure that that doesn't happen. Other questions? Is there anything that you can that each of you have done to really improve your unit level margins? Question was, have they done anything in specific that have improved unit level margins? Mm -hmm. So we've established a standard chart of accounts so that when the franchisees are reporting to us all their information, we can analyze it in the best way, in the most efficient way. So if there's not a standard chart of accounts in place, you don't know if, you know, payroll, does that you know, include the owner's draw. You have to be able to compare apples to apples to get into the unit level economics. And then you can take one unit and compare it to another unit and see, while well, the payroll costs are 20% higher in this market, why is that? They're doing less revenue. The payroll number should be lower. So you can't do that without a standard chart. And then do you aggregate it as well so you can... Do you share that back? Best we we just started, so we just so we've started now by just getting the standard chart of accounts, and then we are going to share it, and we're going to show what the average unit is doing, what the high the highest unit is doing, and the lowest unit is doing. And I think that you know that may that may help the guy that's that's the lowest because he's he's going to be the only one who's going to know it. Uh, so that franchisee will know, and they'll say, "Wow, there's so much more potential with this business." What do I need to do to improve? And we hope that then they would come to us and, and look for advice, and we're going to send the operations person out to help them with all that. Have you, so Brian, on we, we use margins? a system called Covinci, which aggregates all the P&Ls from all the centers. And um, I would say the number one best thing that we've ever done is create an open book environment. Because the minute that they start to see the numbers, as Jason explained, there are certain people in the middle that just immediately started to bump up over time just because their attitude changed. You know, when they saw what was really happening and what other people were really achieving, it opened their mind up to 
wow, I thought I was doing good, but I could be doing a lot better. Do you have anything to add on the gross margins? Sure. Um, I would just say from a very basic level, um, I have a younger workforce at my store, so they don't understand coming in what a P&L is. So um, from a very basic, as soon as they sign on, we go through a training process that explains the P&L and the RITA system basically by physically they're shown, visually shown a dollar bill and it breaks off each part of it, just showing that really we only have this much at the end, so we can't afford to waste product, um, to be giving product away. So really making sure your team understands the value, value of the dollar, so that translates into a higher margin for you, um, in addition to really maximizing your ticket average in terms of cash business. So pro training your team to upsell so that you're making the most of every transaction. Just from that alone, even if your transactions are down for annually, you can increase your revenue very easily. And, and I would agree. I think you know the training of the staff that's interacting with the customer is very important, right? So in, in our business, when someone comes in for a tour and they don't book, how do most of the people when they come in for a tour, they will book. But what do you do with those customers who come in and don't book? So we provide incentives, gift certificates, and they expire within 48 hours or 72 hours of them coming in. So we'll give them a, so a customer will come in, they like everything, they book, fine, they get no discount. If they don't book. Now I'm ready when you come. <laughs> <laughs> now I know the secret for Luca. <laughs> but, but if they don't book, we incentivize them to book and we want them to make a commitment sooner rather than later. So we put a big incentive out there, but we put, we put an expiration of 48 or 72 hours on it. So and do you track them. closing rates and per Again, new program, they... but we are. Yes, we okay. are going to do that. There's another question back there. Yeah, I was curious about your open system. How, how much do the franchisees see of each other's numbers? Do you keep some of it proprietary uh, close to the chest or do you have everyone share it? When we first started it, we put it all up there with the names of the centers. And I think it worked really good for certain people. <laughs> um, and definitely bumped up performance. And, um, but uh, now they, they, they see, you know, the P&Ls are available, just the, the four biggest you know, um, expenses across the board so they could measure themselves against the rest of the system. But um, we don't put the names anymore. Yeah, they could figure it out. I mean, it, you know, when pe people could tell, people who know who's at the top and people know who's at the bottom. But it's a cultural thing. It starts with transparency from the very beginning. Yeah. It's hard to go back. I mean, in Rita's, I know. You know, to go backwards mm -hmm. is very difficult. You get a lot more resistance. Yeah, only our top line revenue shared between stores, and it's really just regional. You would have to dive deeper to get outside of your region. Other questions? Uh, how do you compare to corporate bar? So, franchisor, franchisor, uh, franchisee relationship against uh, company stores. How are, how are your stores doing versus the company and vice versa? I read us. What was that? Sure. All of it. And are in so my stores? Well, yeah, like do they Sorry. publish? I think the question is do they, does the franchisor publish? Does the franchisor follow the same system? Oh, so Rita's, there's no company owned stores at this point, so. Canine, we do. We only have eight units, so, um, you know, we, but we do share all of the data on the corporate store with the franchises. Um, you know, the corporate store is obviously going to be around longer than any of the franchises, right? Because it 
we didn't franchise until we had that corporate store. Um, and the corporate store is performing better than any franchise, but I think that's not a fair statement to make. You have to understand that we've been around for 11 years, and the franchise, um, you know, the oldest franchise that we have has been almost three. So it felt really good when the corporate store was listed number one all the time. That was awesome. You know, I think that might be when we put the names next to it. But, uh, you know, when the corporate store is number four, at first I think it felt a little uncomfortable for me for about a week, maybe, if that. But it's just the environment that we create. You know, it's an open environment, and I'm actually proud that our franchisees are doing that fantastic, that their numbers have exceeded that of the, the corporate store. So it's... I would never turn back, I think. I mean, there's no turning back now, that's for sure. <laughs> but um, it's a key driver in the success of our brand, for sure. And, and I think Brian's right. I mean, I, you know, I, I don't know the feeling yet because we haven't had a, a franchise that has outperformed a corp our corporate store, but I think the day could possibly come. And I think that you have to look at that as a good thing because that means you developed a system that your systems and procedures are in place well, so well that, that the franchises are doing it and they're able to duplicate it. And I think you can use that to your advantage when it comes to selling franchises. So if you publish that information in your item 19 and someone says, well, you know, the corporate store is doing X, how do I know that I can achieve that? Well, look, we had a franchisee that their sales exceeded the corporate store. So that means you can do it if you follow our systems and procedures. Other questions? Yeah, one more. You mentioned franchisees talking to each other, guys that have been in business 12 to 18 months, but we started franchising in September of 2014. We started 2015 with five, we ended it with 33. So everybody that's in our pool right now is relatively inexperienced. There's nobody out there right now that's, that's been in business 18 months. So whenever you talk about like information sharing and, and, and number sharing between franchisees, how would you go about it if you were in my position? What would you tell them if these guys haven't done business, you can still give them the data that you have, right? So I'd, I'd measure a store after they've been open for a year. Do you have units that have been open for more than one year? Barely. Okay, so I mean, no, you can. Okay, but you can still use that, and you can break it up different ways. So you can show, I don't think it's fair to group them all together. So I would have stores, when you show the data, that have been open more than a year, less than a year, and as you continue to grow, then you can just change the information, change the way you present it, and then you can show your high stores, your low stores. But for right now, um, I would show the stores that have been in business for more than a year, because I think that's fair data to show to uh, the, the other franchisees that haven't been there for a year. And I think it's fair data to show a potential franchisee if you put it in your item 19. Nice. Sure. Any thoughts on that? We, Brian, on yeah. newer stores? Because you have a similar problem. Where we you, started, you've been ramping. Yeah, in a similar fashion. And uh, we just had an open book policy. I mean, we just put it out there. I mean, it wasn't really um, a problem. You know, we, we didn't have the historical trail to success that we have now because we have four years worth of data that shows, you know, you start here and this is how you ramp up to get to where you want to be. And then we actually have a trend line, you know, that that trends them against the, uh, the growth pattern that we're looking for. But in the beginning, we just did the best that we can do with it, and we just kept an open book policy. And show your corporate store. If you have a corporate unit, no corporate unit, okay. Well, then you can still show two units that have been there for over a year. Right. Okay. Or you could pull out some number 
from your system or a group of numbers that makes sense just to, you know, the, the purpose is to focus people's, the, the franchisees' minds on improving their business. So you just need some key performance indicator to get them moving in the right direction. Or I was, I, I wanted to, I'm thinking about it from, you know, you talk about guys, I'll go back to the 12 to 18 month rule which we're using right now, but like narrowing that scope could be more appropriate. You know, guys that have been in business six months, nine months, a year, just kind of like, I'm putting that under like a little bit more of a telescope. You know? So I'm thinking that that might be appropriate. And the thing that, that's kind of nerve-wracking on my end, you know, because I'm responsible for training all these franchisees, they've got questions, and rightfully so, about, okay, well, you know, how is this model really proven? And my answer is, okay, I'm gonna, I can give you a pro forma, but it's gonna be a pipe dream, you know? And so I wanna make sure that if I'm gonna actually cite things, if I'm gonna actually reference people that have been in business over a year, I mean, I, I guess my question was, is that enough? And it seems like your answer is that it is, so that's, that's okay. I so, think you, you have two units that have been operating for more than a year, and you're showing them the, the data, and you're representing and, and explaining that these are the two units that have been open for more than a year, right? So you're providing the data, and you're giving them backup as to where you arrived at that data. It's factual, as long as you're not... And as long as you're not making any changes, which I'm sure you're not, to the data that you're receiving, that's the data. Well, I think Tom would get really... Yeah, really that would not be... That would, that, would be <laughs> that would be frowned upon. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I think it's the culture of transparency. Yeah, I mean, it's J-Dog, right? Yeah. Your brand. So I think what's, what Jason has said is that if you have units that are open for three months and they are doing really much better than some of the other ones who didn't implement a grand opening marketing plan or they didn't start hiring a salesperson to go out, you may want to highlight it three months to show what can happen in the very beginning because this first three, six months of a business can make or break that first second for the year. And it kind of goes to the point of not having the grand opening advertising spend. And um, right. Brian, wrote that down. yeah, uh, that, that story goes through. But uh, that's great. That's, there's a validation. Did we film that one for a PFA uh, commercial there? And I, and I think you can put together a set of projections, but you have to be realistic, like you right. said. I mean, you can't put together a set of projections and say, this is your one, two, five-year plan if you know that they're never going to hit those projections because then they're going to get to 18 months out and say, you know, my franchisor said we're going to be here. We're not even close to it. Where do these numbers come from? So if you have realistic set of projections and you stress tested them and analyzed them and really put them through the ringer, then I think it's okay to be able to say this is what we expect a unit to do in one, two, or five years. I don't know if the attorneys have an opinion on that, if that's allowed well, or not. I think it is. Look, once they're franchisees, right? I mean, once they're franchisees, that's, I mean, in fact, the word I wrote down is transparency is kind of a thing. I mean, the real key is, yeah, you have to be obviously a little more careful on the onboarding, it's top level. But if you're believing in your system and systems change, especially new systems change, I mean, that's why you're getting into franchising. And the real key is just to have that dividing line. Hey, you're buying something. I mean, that's what we tell clients when we're not representing franchisors, representing franchisees. You don't know what's going to happen because the business hasn't yet been built, so you don't know what's really going to happen. But, I mean, it's, you know, obviously, and I, I know you guys why I think it's good, strong brands. The more transparent the brand is, so the brand can make course adjustments, the more transparent the culture is, the ideas can come up. And, you know, once they're a franchisee, they're in the family. You can share everything with them. I just want to touch on one more point with respect to the advertising that you mentioned that I talked about earlier. 
you know, it's tough. You're in a tough position as a franchisor when you set a minimum spend and then you have one of your first couple franchisees not following it. But I think in the long run, if I had to look back at that, I would have rather made that franchisee upset and enforced the grand opening spend because he would have ramped up quicker. And he may not or she may not realize that we're only enforcing that minimum spend because it's going to benefit them in the long run. And they, whether they know that or understand that or not, I think is, doesn't really matter. I think the franchisor has a responsibility to the franchisee to make sure that, that they're going to be successful, at least give them the right tools to be successful. So it's, again, it's tough to, to, you know, you don't want to get into an argument and disagreement with one of your first franchisees. However, looking back, I would have much rather enforced that minimum spend and dealt with the issues that could have potentially come out of that at the time. How do you deal with that? That um, is a good segue to a question that I always have to franchisors, that franchisees sometimes, and I think sometimes justified, most of the time not, but they would counter something like that and say, oh, well, you just want me to spend X amount of dollars plus on my grand opening because you just want my revenue. You're not caring as much about my profit because you're only paid a royalty on my gross revenue, which I think is very short-sighted. But it's a very legitimate concern from franchisees when franchisors come out with a program, put in this piece of equipment, spend this amount of money. Great, revenues are going to be driven up to here. You're going to get more money, but I'm not necessarily. How do you answer that question or what do you, controls do you put in place? Well, again, it was tough for us because when it was the first one or two or three or four franchisees, you don't have the data to say this is what you have to spend because. Today, I would tell that franchisee, I'm sorry you feel that way. However, we have data that proves if you follow our spending requirements with respect to advertising, your stores will ramp up faster. So we're benefiting you by enforcing this policy. I couldn't have said that back then because we just didn't have the data. Today we have the data, and that's exactly what we do. I, I totally agree with uh, what Jason said. Um, I think it's a touchy situation when a franchisee comes in with that type of attitude, and really those types of situations should be vetted out before you even get into a relationship with them. I mean, if you're a franchisee and you're already in the relationship, then you probably should have read the FDD a little bit more closely because it's in there, right? Like, nobody could ask you to do something that's not contractually in the FDD. So it's all disclosed and it's all in there. So I think my answer is, as a franchisor, I try my absolute best not to get into those situations. I would ask people those hard questions before I enter into an agreement with them and then hopefully avoid a lot of that. If I end up in a situation like that, I tell it to them point blank. Um, I call Joanne, ask her if I could just go change the locks. Um, but that's usually a no. But uh, yeah, no, so we just try not to enter into those And then you had told a story yesterday on the flip side of that of a franchisee spending too much on marketing right. and not making money. Yeah, which comes back to cost control really because at least in our system, a lot of people got get it, not a lot of people, every single franchisee that we have is in the system because they believe in what we're doing from the heart. They represent us in a really powerful way. They're very passionate about it. They're passionate about helping people making changes to their health. And what are they not passionate about? Keeping books, looking at numbers, reviewing. 
even though we make it super easy, we give KPI reports every single week that breaks it down. They don't do any calculating on their own. But when you look at the cost per lead and the cost per conversion, and our initial sale is around $400, and there was an individual that was doing quite well on the gross income side, but was making no money. And when you looked at, I told, I was telling him over and over again, when you look at your cost per, he was paying 300, over $300 to generate a lead in his business. And he was spending money on billboard ads that we told him not to spend on, on ads at the train station, on all sorts of ineffective marketing that just shouldn't have been done. And it, it proved out in the numbers. And he eventually did straighten it out. But if we didn't have those KPI reports and we weren't, didn't have the data, it would have been a lot different. It would have been an emotional situation. It would have been a tug of war. But it just came down to, this is what it is. This is where your bleed is. And I think it all goes back to expectations. At least that's what we've experienced. So it all has to start in the sales process. Your salesperson has to explain to the candidate what they're getting into because we have franchisees that were used to own their own business and now they are owning their own business but they're buying into a franchise and with that comes the FDD and the agreement that they have to follow right so they're agreeing to abide by the systems the standards the procedures and they have to understand that there are certain things that they can do there are certain things that they can't do and there's certain things that they're required to do so I think that really has to be clear. We didn't know when we first started selling our first couple. A franchisee would ask us, are you going to be flexible with us? And our interpretation of flexible was going to be if you wanted to paint the, the wall a different shade of yellow, but it looked almost the same, we'd allow you to do that. And their interpretation of flexible was if I don't want to advertise, hypothetically, then I don't have to advertise. And that's just not the case. Uh, under that banner of cost control, you said some of the kind of job this was um, ineffective advertising. And you know what is effective and what isn't. Under the banner of cost control, where are you encouraging people or where, where are you spending that? Or encouraging your franchisees to spend it? Or the franchisee, where are you spending Where are you seeing like people talk social media, all these things? What is effective in your world? In, in our system, it's definitely social media. I mean, we do do print advertising, but the actual leads, like the, the actual leads that we're getting are 100% social media. Instagram, I mean, Facebook is our big thing. Um, Instagram as well, but face, we're shifting to Instagram, but we're big on Facebook. So I think as a franchisor, you have to identify what works and what doesn't work and give the franchisee a list of things or however you want to work it that's going to be effective in advertising. So you can't just say, well, don't do that billboard because it's ineffective. You have to say, don't do that billboard because it's ineffective, but spend your money on social media or on Google AdWords because we've proven through our franchisees and through our open locations that it's been successful. So we brought on a marketing agency to help the franchisees that, that they can just say, okay, this is our monthly budget. You spend it wisely. And that's what we recommend to our franchisees because the more franchisees that, that use the marketing agency, the more data that's collected through that marketing agency. So now we're testing things in different markets and what may work in this market may not work in another market, but now there's real data being collected and that's another way that we can help the franchisees.
Okay, what do you think is the most effective? Um, from a franchisee perspective, uh, for Rita's, the Philly region really took advantage of the fact that we have a large group of franchisees and formed a co-op this year where we bought on a much larger scale radio advertisements and billboards and it resulted in an 8% increase in system-wide sales. So that was very beneficial for the region. In addition to that, on a local level, um, all of our stores are required to a 2% local marketing source, local marketing spend, um, which is a lot of local Athlete, athletic sponsorships, um, donations to schools, direct mail. Um, so really just doing the local, but also as a franchisee, taking advantage of the relationships with your fellow franchisees um, and making the biggest bang for your buck, really, in terms of advertising. Any other questions? How about from a recruitment standpoint in terms of the managers? I mean, I don't know, Katie, you've probably hired so many people in that, and you were mentioning about younger people. Mm -hmm. You mentioned that dollar. That was a really good visual of how to break that up. Any other thoughts on how that kind of drives operational mm -hmm. people should look for? Um, I go directly to high school guidance counselors when I'm hiring uh, students um, and same with community colleges and if you're near a local university go to the student life coordinator they can give you the best referrals so I've gotten my best managers who are looking for part-time work um, from that from the student life organizations we're fortunate we get flooded with applications of people that want to work at our resorts um, which can be a good thing and a bad thing so I mean it gives us a big pool to choose from and then you have to have a good manager or franchise owner whoever's on site um, that's doing the hiring go through those candidates um, and and make sure that they're the right fit for that you know for that location um, and I think that it you know, I think that the training from the franchisor level, um, you know, if the training is good, you can train someone that uh, wants to do that job, you know, to, to do it. Um, if the person that you're looking to hire comes from another, in my scenario, dog kennel, but they're, you know, not willing to put the work and the effort in, I don't really care that they have the experience. We're looking more for the individual um, that, that wants to be there and that that individual can then be trained because we know and we believe in our training um, manuals and, and procedures. I agree with the uh, that you know you could you can't train friendliness right so if you're in the type of business that you need a friendly person well then number one they need to be friendly so like you know as, as an example if they're not a fitness expert and at the top of their fitness game I'd rather have a person that is knowledgeable in fitness right but is friendly because you're just not going to teach friendliness but the number one game changer for us was definitively when we uh, standardized our hiring processes, really um, pinpointed the type of skills and attributes that we were looking for for each position at the uh, unit level. And then we also test candidates as well. So use like a disk profile or something like that in order to really pre-screen them. It, that makes a world, if you're not if you're not screening candidates by giving them like a skills ability test or a disc profile or something like that, you're definitely it, you've seen a big improvement. Very big improvement on yeah. on on the retention, on the retention and the performance. And the performance. Right, you know, and back to that transparency. Do you share? You know, we're talking about transparency and KPIs and metrics. Do your franchisees push the KPIs all the way down to the individual team member? So in. In our system, that's the ultimate goal. That's what we're working towards. We're, you know, um, getting it to the point where the it's it's a class uh, type of business. So people come in for classes. So 
Yeah, the, the instructors in the class are actually going to have uh, access to the KPIs, which I'm excited for because I think it's going to be uh, the next level, really bump it up. Yeah, I think that's important. We're not there yet, but I think that's something. Well, that's a goal. That's so it's a good best practice goal. in terms of operations. I would agree. And Katie, you push that. Yep, I train all, all of my team members basically on the franchise evaluation and the KPIs. Another question back there? When you had when you were first franchising, you had your idea of your systems and your procedures. How much have you seen that evolve over as your franchisees started to open up new, new locations? How much have we seen? So when you first started with your corporate stores, you had your systems and procedures lined up. When you started the franchising, how much have you seen your systems and procedures um, evolve? Evolve? Yeah. Uh, if my systems are the same as they were a month ago, like I'd be surprised, like, right, because we're growing so fast and there's new franchisees coming on all the time and I truly feel it's my obligation to reinvest what's coming in into the system. So, you know, if you look at the way we track KPIs in the beginning, it was with a pen and paper, <laughs> you know, and literally calling up and saying, you know, how many phone calls today, how many conversions, and try doing that and get accurate information. You know, the franchisees are literally making a line on a piece of paper and then when they get five, they're going like this. Just crazy, right? So then it became computerized and then it became pushed automatically to their inbox and their you know, thing. And then you know, we add additional parts to the KPI report literally monthly. There's always a project on our board that's being developed. And do some of those ideas come up from the franchisees of what should be tracked or that? Definitely, so uh, for sure. We have a franchise advisory committee, you know, on different subjects. One of them being lead generation, one member fulfillment, lead conversion. So we're constantly working on improving the key areas of our business. Is that an external group or an internal group? It's um, franchisees. franchisees. Yeah, they're just franchisees, yeah. And we rotate, so quarter one is member fulfillment, quarter two is lead generation. And, we and I think, I mean, we're constantly evolving as well, but I think that, at least for us, the number one thing is you may think you have your systems and procedures, you know, well-defined, but I think there's always improvement. I think that however, you know, however you think your operations manual is, is plenty large and there's enough in there, I think that you have to really pinpoint every single process and every single procedure to make it 100% clear. Because the way I look at any franchise is that with, after anyone who's never ran any that type specific type of business, if you take someone off the street and they complete your uh, training program, they should be 100% ready to work at that location. And I should be able to take an employee from a location in northern New Jersey, bring them to a location in southern New Jersey, and they should be able to operate in that same capacity. So I think that, you know, for us, we had a lot of the systems and procedures that were in the operations manual, but weren't clearly defined enough. And I think we spent some time going into more detail and really working on that. And, and that's definitely been very, very helpful. Anything to add on that in terms of? Um, even at the franchise level, I think your processes change over time as different um, products and roll out. There's always something new to be 
added. So definitely keeping on track and updating as you go, your templates, forms, all that sort of thing. And it seems like the culture of transparency and change. So the franchisees are expecting, and as long as they're inputting, they're going to have a, a share. Any, uh, any final questions as we get? Go ahead. That's all right. From a franchisee perspective, what are your thoughts when Rita's wants to make some kind of change, that be minor or a major way, on how they expect you to operate the business? They always love it. No matter <laughs> what it is, the franchisees go with open arms. Sorry. As a franchisee, I always want to see the data to support it um, and see that it's kind of a well thought out idea that's actually been brought to the point where it can be rolled out now, whereas you're not getting an idea that's only made it halfway and now you're expected to figure out the rest. So I think that's the main thing is that you have the data to support it and all of the resources are ready for it to be properly rolled out on a large scale, whereas one franchisee is not going to do it properly and another's not. The expectations have to be clear. That's a really great question because I think that's really important. Or if it is a pilot program, mm -hmm. say, this is a pilot you know program that you're signing into that. And, yep. and, you, and you know what you're getting into. Cool. Any, uh, any other final questions before I wrap up with my, uh, my quiz? So I always ask this as you've been here before. So if you want, you know, thinking of the topic, operational excellence, everything, if you want people to leave with one thing that's most important in terms of really driving profitability or that they can use and, and implement, you know, really tomorrow or being patient today, um, what would that be? Start with you. Um, from the franchisee perspective, I think it's just really important to know your numbers and be visiting them weekly, monthly, whatever your need is, um, and really translating the importance of your P&L, your KPIs, down to all of your team members from the starting point to manager level so that they know what the expectations are and that you're not losing any margins along the way. I think the franchisee has to globally understand that they have to follow the system, right? I mean, that's what franchising is all about. So in, in Brian's scenario before of maybe a franchisee is doing is spending money on advertising that's ineffective, or in my scenario, when you have a franchisee that's not following the minimum advertising spend, these processes are in place for a reason. So globally, the franchisee has to understand you have to follow the system, and everything else it, you know, will fall into place from there. I think knowing your numbers on at, the, at minimum a monthly basis, you definitely need to be on top of certain KPIs daily, weekly at the least. There's no doubt about it because by the time it hits your P&L, it's pretty much, a, that's history. That's what's already happened, right? But uh, sales being down on Monday is a reflection of what your P&L is going to look like on Friday. So you got to be able to look a little bit deeper than the P&L and what's driving the numbers that end up on the P&L and then be on top of things before you notice it in the bottom right hand corner of, of your profit and loss statement. So just be on top of it. Mm -hmm. You guys were great. Thank you very much. <laughs>